you know, years and years ago, it used to be that every Sunday you'd go to, you know, grandma and grandpa's house for dinner Mm -hmm. and everybody would sit around, have family dinners and everything. And I think that there was a lot of benefit to that. Um, Now I hear a lot of grandparents complain. The only time that I'm involved with my, my children is when I'm asked to babysit. This week, Dr. Karen Sherman and I discussed taking things out of context. You know, like young people don't want to get married anymore, or they don't respect the union of relationships. I'm a little fiery in this episode, so stay tuned. The holiday seasons are just around the corner, and we have the gift that keeps on giving, the Hitched Wine Club. Each month, our White Club partner, Touring and Tasting, will deliver knockout wines to your door or business that you and your spouse can look forward to each month as your time to sit down, sip, and reconnect. With all the holiday meals hitting the table, you'll also feel great knowing that you won't have to stress about going out and getting wine to serve with it. We have a few different club levels and gift options are also available. To learn more, visit hitchedmag.com and click the Wine Club link. Again, hitchedmag.com and click the Wine Club link. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the original Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. (laughs) Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life, the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last, uh, you can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Uh, today, Karen, we're going to talk about um, taking information out of context. And there, like that's just a, such a broad statement. I realize that. Uh, but I feel like we live in this information age where we have so much information and so much data. And I just see it all the time where people will take a single data point and then construct their own narrative around that data as if that makes the narrative true because there's create fake news. (laughs) Yes. No, no, no. Exactly. Honest to God. It is, it is very much in that vein of, I found this data point that backs up my point of view. So I'm going to use it, but it's a misuse of the information because it's out of context. Right. And so, right. One so one of this uh, one of the things is I I get really really frustrated with how older generations berate newer generations for how things are being done and this is not new this has always happened and it I just don't understand why we continue to perpetuate this as if change and different is somehow bad and negative. Uh, as if, Steve, Steve, mm-hmm. I think it's scary. I think it's scary to people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I get that. Um, yeah. 
And I would, you know, and if I'm arguing for the side of the newer generation, which everybody at one point in time was the newer generation, right? Uh, realize that guess what? You were doing it different than your parents and guess what? It worked out for you mm-hmm. and it will work out for the next generation. And so, um, what, for example, so when I'm talking about like taking data points out of context and things of that nature, I read an article about, um, it was a, it was, it was actually an article from a coach about the 45, the 45th year anniversary of title nine, which is, um, this, uh, law that passed that essentially, uh, gave women equal rights, uh, within college opportunities, particularly with sports. Mm -hmm. And so if you have, you know, a hundred male athletes, you have to have uh, give the opportunity to a hundred female athletes. Mm-hmm. And so it's a 40 year, 45 year anniversary. And it was this article about coaching women in college and all this stuff. And so it starts off right off the top calling, uh, these women athletes, snowflakes and how, and then it kind of like rattled off some numbers. And this is where I get into the whole, they construct this narrative that helps them prove their point. But I'm just like, well, where's the freaking context? Mm-hmm. So for example, one of the things they talk about is, um, these women, you know, they did a survey and over 60% of the women's like 64% of the college athletes, women, college athletes contact their parents every day. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. As if that's some big giant scandal. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. on the, on the one hand, they didn't go into the fact of like, so is that supposed to be bad? Like, are we not supposed to talk to our family when we go to college? I don't know. Like, you can make that argument, but that, they didn't make that argument. They just call, name called them and then talked about how they had to contact their parents every day. The second thing is, it's 2017. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody. And right, when you right. have a cell phone, contacting your parents could be sending them a freaking emoji. Or mm-hmm. perhaps, and it didn't get into the details of it again, maybe the parent was contacting them saying, how was practice today? And the kid replied, it was great. Or it was terrible or whatever. Right. Like there was just absolutely no context to it, but you throw it out there like, Oh, 65% of college students have to contact their parents every single day. And it's just like, okay. And so if, if you're on that side, it's easy to get riled up by it, but it doesn't, are they, are they, wait, 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 are they saying that it's mostly the women well, this was specifically an article about Title IX and about right. how far have we come in female athletics within college. So it didn't yeah. get into men, it, to answer your question. It didn't talk about men at all. This was all specifically about women. And that's the other thing. It didn't say, like, well, do men contact their parents? Mm-hmm. And there was another bit in there about, um, like, college freshmen having anxiety, like, you know, such and such percent reported having anxiety entering college. And I'm like, and you're telling me kids 40 years ago didn't have anxiety entering college. They didn't diagnose anxiety. People weren't, uh, you know, open enough to talk about having anxiety. They didn't, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there was just, Mm -hmm. there's just so much to it that was left out. So Mm -hmm. I want to bring this to the marriage realm, the relationship realm, because, um, I see the same type of thing happen within marriage where people will see a number, see a statistic, or they'll feel a particular way. And then they'll construct this like false narrative about it, taking Mm -hmm. things out of context. So Mm -hmm. the first thing that I wanted to 
uh, get your take. So I, what I want to do is I want to like kind of present some of these things that I see and then get your take on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll kind of, we'll go back and forth on that a little bit. Okay. So the first one that I see all the time is that people don't want to get married anymore, anymore. Your thoughts. I don't think that that's accurate. I think that people wait longer to get mm-hmm. married and that's a good thing. Yeah. Because, um, there, as you get older, hopefully you are, um, smarter, you have more life experience, you know, more of what you want. Um, you know, chances are you're more educated and all of that makes for a better partnership. So I don't think that people don't want to get married. I think that, as I said, they're just getting married later. Um, I think also, um, that people are living together for a while and I don't know that that's a bad thing either. So again, it's not that they don't want to get married. It's just that circumstances uh, are a little bit different than they were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything that you said is also supported by the facts about people marrying later. And again, I think putting it into context is if you talk about the economics of American life today, you it, you almost have to go to college to make a middle class living mm-hmm. uh, in, in 2017. Right. So uh, again, 30, 40 years ago, that was not the case. Um, and we can go back and forth about why that is and whatever, and that's perfectly fine. But because people have to get a college education, people are putting off uh, getting married earlier Correct. because Correct. they want to go and they want to get the college education first. Mm-hmm. And so they have prolonged these life stages. This is something we've talked about before. And then they yes. want to get their career started. And again, women are afraid. Uh, I, I, that's not the right word. Women are being thoughtful about starting the careers. And then because of our healthcare system, it's almost as if you have to have a job or have to have employment, or at least your spouse does. So you have to get married and then you have to have employment in order to have a baby and afford (laughs) having a baby. Yes. There's a lot more thought and uh, clarity in your decision-making process as opposed to, you know, you fell in love and so you're going to get married. And, you know, with the dream of we're going to be in love and everything's going to work out, we're going to live happily ever after. So I think that people are much more conscious of the kinds of um, factors that go into a happy relationship. And so again, they're not rushing into it, but I don't think that most people don't want to get married. I think most people do want to be married. Uh, one, one little, uh, final point I want to put on this two, two points actually. Uh, so I did a, before we got on, I did a quick, uh, search uh, mm-hmm. and I found uh, a Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, report mm-hmm. that showed, and this was from 2013. So it's a couple years old. I, I, I grant that. Um, but that the percentage of men and women to ever marry. And so they have tracked couples going back into I think to the seventies, uh, up until, uh, their late, I want to say fifties or sixties, or maybe into their, mm-hmm. their own seventies, uh, 84.3% of men have been married mm-hmm. and and 89.5% of women. So basically nine out of 10 women have been married mm-hmm. in their lifetime. Right. 
Right. And, and the thing that I also want to point out, so this is my second point about this, legalized uh, um, gay marriage was finally legalized through the Supreme Court decision in 2015, which meant that, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's all these studies about, you know, we don't know the size of the uh, gay and lesbian, the LGBTQ uh country, but it's somewhere people estimate somewhere between like 15 and 20%. Mm -hmm. So if you couldn't get married until 2015, but you saw the wave, the momentum coming, why would you ever jump into a marriage that you don't like, that's not you. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So, um, I think this is another part that people never take into consideration of like, well, maybe they finally just in the last two years have the opportunity to marry which right. they didn't before. So there's that bit of it as well. Right. Um, okay. So then the next one that I have for you is, and I bring this up because, and this kind of ties back into the whole bit I mentioned about the kids and anxiety. Uh, young people are too emotional or they need to be validated about their feelings all the time. As if that's some something bad. Okay. I have conflicting comments to make on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to say that the expression of your feelings is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly that's, you know, what I do is to help people learn how to express them and how to express them in a healthy way. Um, and if you don't express your emotions, they're not going to go away. So I'm certainly not going to say that somebody could be too emotional. That being said, we also know that the particular generation of young folks now, and I'm going to include people up to even around 35, 40, mm-hmm. happens to be a group that are the re- results of our parenting where, and, and I'm not really sure why we did this, but where we felt it was necessary to make them as children feel that whatever effort they made was good because they made the effort. Mm -hmm. So an example of that is that when they played on a team, regardless of whether the team won or not, they got little trophies Mm -hmm. for playing. Mm -hmm. And what we have now discovered, and I'm, I'm just, I'm being really brief about this. What we then discovered was that as adults, they went into the work field and the attitude was, well, why should I have to put forth any effort? I'm here, just like I showed up at the team. I should be rewarded. I should be validated because I'm here. That's not life. So in our attempt, and I'm including myself in this, my generation, Mm -hmm. in our attempt to make kids feel good or to not feel badly, we over-congratulated them or over-rewarded them, and we really did them a disservice. Um, and May so, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I want to, I, I really appreciate uh, you giving a, a wider range on that. Mm-hmm. I want to push back just a smidge. Sure. One of the things, because as, as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows, uh, I've worked a lot in business publications. 
And the example that you gave uh, is a common one that I hear. And one of the things that I feel like is never, again, it's just not taken into consideration. It's, uh, is the fact that you have this younger generation who grew up in a radically unstable economy, uh, who witnessed their parents work perhaps with a single employer their entire lives and depending mm-hmm. on the age, either watch them right off into the sunset with great loyalty. Mm-hmm. And so there's that, or you they watch them get to the very old age and then get canned by their employer at the very end. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you have a generation that grows up with that in mind, the same way that you had the people who grew up during the Great Depression, it affected their psyche and how they did of course. things, right? And, and so that's I guess what I was I, just going to bring back to you. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to point out is, so we, we, we connect these things where it's like, well, we, because we gave them a trophy for just participating, that they seem to think like we owe them something in the workforce, where the generation before was like, I'm happy I have a job because they came from parents who came out of the Great Depression. Right. And so we have this generation that's like, I saw the man and they canned my parents at the very end. Like, why, where is, why should I give them any loyalty? And the experience that they had has been every time they get ahead. I have, I want to say three friends uh, in the last, I want to say two years who have worked with startups who have gone public and all three of them got hosed on the deal, all three of them. Mm -hmm. And so when that's the case, yeah, I guess it, for me, it's, I, I don't even know if one of them ever played sports, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know? And so we like to tie it into like, Oh, because we were so accommodating and validating to them at this young age that that's how they act now. Well, perhaps it's something different but it's an easy thing to blame it on this. Like we're going to give them trophies for just showing up, but that you're supposed to show up in life. I don't think Steve, I'm going to push back now that it I was it. just during sports. Mm-hmm. I think it was more an attitude because mm-hmm. I, I am that generation who, who did that. Um, and I agree with your analysis of the great depression. We were happy. We had a job. I would say that accounts more for, the generation we're discussing having the attitude of, I don't have to stay at a job. I move around, which people from my generation don't get. Like, how are you not loyal? But I could see that attitude coming as a result of what you're saying. So you spent your whole life and then you got canned or you didn't get rewarded. Like, there's no reason that you have to be loyal. I can see how those two would fit together. But I am still going to hold to, and we're going to have to just agree to disagree, um, that it has more to do with the way my generation treated our children to make them feel so special that we didn't, it's almost like, it was almost like an Mm overprotection and we didn't prepare them properly for the reality of the world. Yeah. One you know, one thing that I do want to add is uh, you do have to show up. <laughs> there mm-hmm. are realities in life. Life doesn't always go your way. 
right. sometimes you have to do things you don't like. So these are things that I don't find acceptable, right? Like, and I think those are things we should all agree on. Um, but I, but I take your point. I totally take your point. Okay. But again, but let's but, go back to your, let's go back to what you said. So if, if the people that we're speaking about have come from parents who had an attitude of, I'm just so glad to have a job and you just do what you're told, blah, blah, blah. If we see the younger generation speaking up and speaking their mind and not feeling that they have to be loyal, that might frighten us. And we Mm -hmm. might feel like, oh, they're being too emotional and they're, you know, um, they just sort of feel that they can do what they want. So Mm -hmm. that may be where you're coming up with, um, again, this concept that um, we look at the younger generation and say, oh, they're too emotional. Well, you know, the other thing to add to that um, about the the younger generation speaking up and and all that other stuff is uh, we, again, getting back to what the younger generation has seen. And I'm part of this younger generation. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm late 30s. And what I have seen is a system that's been crooked and slanted towards those at the top, right? Like income inequality is greater than it's ever been in this country, period, end of story. Like it's not even close. And we see people of incompetence rewarded for their incompetence. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, if we already know, for example, that you're not going to be loyal to us and we see that you're incompetent, it could be, you could flip it and say like, wow, how courageous is this generation to stand up to those in power Mm-hmm. because they have nothing to lose. They look at it and they're just like, screw you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why am I going to listen to you? Like, it's already rigged against me. So, you know what I mean? So there, I, I guess I'm trying to take this opportunity for people to, to understand. And I get that it's scary the same way that like Elvis Presley's hips were sure. scary sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> to the generation above them. So I get, I get all that. Um, and, but, and, but I do, the other thing about this conversation is one of the things that you did is you talked about how it was the parents who raised the kids who overcorrected, mm-hmm. but, but the blame never goes on the parents. It goes on the kids for how they're acting. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mm-hmm. think that's another aspect to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to move on and, and, and I, I really love your feedback on this stuff. So um, another thing that I, hear frequently is that couples don't respect the institution of, of marriage like they used to, and that they don't think divorce, for example, is like a big deal. Well, I have a lot to say about that. Okay. Um, first of all, divorce rates are not as high as the media portrays it. You know, they'll say it's 50%, it's 50%. That's not accurate. It's lower than that. And it's getting even lower. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think that there were lots of unhappy couples. The only difference was that people didn't talk about it. So I think that the younger generation is more open about it. Um, They will express more if they're unhappy. Um, And they, there are some people, and I have to say it does, there are some people who are really outliers, shall we say, who will say, well, look, if it doesn't work out, you know, we can get divorced. But in part, again, where does that come from? 
chances are that they had parents who divorced, and so they see that as a reasonable solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so you again, that's taken out of context. Oh, you know, they have no respect, but you've got to look at the backdrop. You know, where did that come from? Why why are they willing to just divorce easily? It may be because they come from a divorced home. Um, But again, I think that people are more ready to discuss the fact that they're unhappy where, you know, back in the 50s, it was hush, hush. You never talked about Mm -hmm. being unhappy or anything. What I will say is that I think the younger generation, and I'm not even going to put a value judgment on this. I think in general, they are much more comfortable with shifting gears, shall we say, with uh, letting go of things and moving on. It's a much more, um, it's a group that's much more comfortable with uh, dispensing with something and making changes. And so as part of that, uh, if a relationship is really not good. I think that unfortunately, and in this case, I'm going to say, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the mentality is, well, if it's not good, you know, and I'm not happy, then, you know, let me move on and find another partner. Unfortunately, the consequences of divorce are unbelievably devastating, not only to the couple and their children, but even to the extended family. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot different than, well, I don't like this car, let me get a different car. Or I don't like this job, let me change jobs. You know, divorcing your mate is really profound. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's interesting. So you're saying like the stick-to-itiveness, the mindset of like sticking with it, uh, for the longer term to give it more of an effort isn't, isn't there as much as it you have seen it in the past. Is that what you're getting at? I, yeah, I think that there are a lot of young folks who either because they've seen it in their parents, their parents have divorced or because they're not as afraid of change Mm -hmm. are willing to go that route rather than, you know, let me try to work this out. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and, and that I, I do have some concern over. Yeah. That's actually really interesting because I can see, I could see how this generation would adapt, adapt change much quicker because mm-hmm. everything in their life has radically changed in a very fast clip and yeah. it's, and it, and it's accelerating. I actually just finished a really great book um, by Thomas Friedman called Thank You for Being Slow, which talks about mm. this age of acceleration mm-hmm. and how everything is just getting faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And we had these periods of transition in history, which would take uh, 100, 100 years or uh, centuries of change. And we are getting just radical change within a decade or within two decades. or And now it's getting even smaller. And I look just, just something, again, getting back into some headlines that I've read, and not that I dispute these headlines, but like younger um, teenagers are no longer going out and getting their driver's license when they're 16. And, mm. um, and I, I have no doubts that that number is dropping, right? Like I, I, I bet that's probably true. But then I also think, well, if I'm a 16-year-old and I re- open up the newspaper every single day and it talks about self-driving cars, 
Mm-hmm. What, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like it's probably going to happen before I hit my 20th birthday that mm. I'm going to, you know, push a button on my smartphone or my wearable device and I'm going to get a card yeah. summoned to me, you know, really. Yeah. And yeah, so it makes, funny. Yeah. it's, you know, it's interesting because I, and the, one of the reasons I think that way is when I was growing up, um, I, my dad was a big, still is a big car guy. And I learned how to do a bunch of stuff on the car. And I'm grateful that I did learn to do a bunch of stuff on the car. And I swapped motors, transmissions, did all my oil changes, like you name it, like I did it. Mm-hmm. And I, but I did it almost reluctantly. <laughs> like I was never like, oh, can we go work on the car? Like that wasn't me. I was just like, oh, I have to fix my stupid car. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my dad being such a car enthusiast couldn't understand. And he grew up in the muscle car era and loved fixing up cars and then he would mm-hmm. race them on the weekends. And I remember having a conversation with him one day and I was, I just, I could see the future when I was a teenager. And I just told him like, I don't think that I'm going to be able to work on my car in the future. Like, I just don't think that's going to be a thing. Like the way that we're yeah. out here doing it, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to work on it because I think it's all going to be computerized. Huh? And what do you know, the very first brand spanking new car I've ever purchased. And the only one that I've ever purchased in my life is a freaking Prius, which guess what? (laughs) I cannot crack the hood on a Prius and tinker on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I saw that, like, I'm, I'm not sad that I had the ability to change the oil on my car. Like I'm, I'm very glad that I did, but I can understand why some young teenager today would say, you know what? Yeah, I could put off getting the driver's license. <laughs> and and um, to bring this back to uh, what you were talking about, divorce and the, and the rapid change of things, and particularly what you were saying about how their parents were divorced, so they're, they're more likely to jump on that. Again, getting back to statistics, uh, we know that if your parents got divorced, you are more likely to divorce yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of information out there about the contagion of divorce. So not even if, so not just if your parents got divorced, but if you also have a bunch of friends around you who got divorced, sure. Absolutely. you are also more likely to get divorced. And we've talked about that in past podcasts. So it's really interesting how there's a lot of factors that go into this stuff, but we like to think in things in a very binary manner, which I always find fascinating. Um, Okay, so let's let's flip it around because I've been like heart, like vehemently defending the younger generation, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think people are perfect. I know I'm not perfect, um, so I want to see if we can come up with a couple things that they actually can do better on. And you have brought up a couple things already, but um, I let me throw out an idea, and if you have something else, just let me know. So one idea that I feel like younger couples could improve upon is perhaps better community engagement. How, when you define community, mm-hmm. what, what are you calling community? I, so that's, that's a great question. Um, for me, that when I was thinking of this, I was thinking, uh, I know a lot of people uh, who don't know their neighbor's names, mm-hmm. let alone participate in anything in the neighborhood. Um, Mm -hmm. and this might tie back to, there's so much change. People used to live in the same place for decades and now, you know, rents get raised every, (laughs) every 12 months and they're bouncing around places or the job market's so inconsistent, they're bouncing around. So they never bother learning the names, but so that was kind of how I was thinking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, what do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, 
to me, if you had just asked it as an open-ended question, I would say that what they need to be doing is spending more time with each other, Mm -hmm. spending more time with their children, not having their children involved in so many activities, Mm -hmm. and spending more time with the older generation, with the grandparents, in meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. I think that at, you know, years and years ago, it used to be that every Sunday you'd go to, you know, grandma and grandpa's house for dinner mm-hmm. and everybody would sit around, and have family dinners and everything. And I think that there was a lot of benefit to that. Yeah. Um, now I hear a lot of grandparents complain. The only time that I'm involved with my, my children is when I'm asked to babysit. Mm-hmm. Um And I don't really have a meaningful conversation, you know, with my kids. Um, I think there's a lot um, to be gained from having, you know, an extended family. And I think children are over-involved, so they don't have enough time for themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't have enough family time. Um, They don't sit down for dinners anymore, which that's really, really important to sit down and have dinner time. And again, young couples don't spend enough time with each other. So uh, is community important? Sure. But I think, uh, you You know, better family, like more quality family time, extended family time. Yeah, I like I like that. And and uh, the dinner time. So, again, there's studies that talk about the benefits of dinner time. And I would say turn off your freaking devices (laughs) when you do your dinner time. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing about that, um, I wonder, so now I'm just like kind of brainstorming here. I wonder if that's going to swing back a little bit because the younger generation has been priced out of the housing market for the most part. And you talk, mm. you know, there's all this stuff about, you know, people living with their parents, couples living mm. with their parents for a longer time. Mm-hmm. And so we're just now entering the age of like that boomer generation getting sick Um, Mm -hmm. and that stuff. And so there's going to be a lot of self care, uh, or family care happening in the very near future. And I wonder if that's going to kind of bring this back a little bit, like bring the pendulum back a little bit Mm -hmm. and an interesting trend, at least where I live. So I live in a very high, um, Asian immigrant community Mm -hmm. and a lot of the neighborhoods around my area have, so there are a bunch of new, so a lot of land was military land and it was sold off, um, to private owners and the private owners have now, um, started building new housing communities and all these new houses have living quarters for elderly parents. Mm. And when I say living quarters, I'm talking about like, they have their own entranceway, they have their own bathroom, they have their own little mini kitchen, and it's Mm -hmm. connected to the main house, but it's almost like their own side apartment that's connected to the house. And it's like neighborhood after neighborhood have these popping up. So um, that's why I say like, I wonder if it's going to creep back or if that's a cultural thing. Well, I was just going to say, you mentioned that it's a heavily populated Asian culture. And in Mm -hmm. the Asian culture, there's a lot more respect for elders. So I don't know if it's an outgrowth of that culture that you're. And that's why, yeah, that's why I even mentioned it because I I wanted to bring that back to, I wonder if it's just a cultural thing or if it is something that um, is going to be something more in the future. So that's interesting, but I I do like the, um, the overall, point that you made about more family time. And Mm -hmm. then, um, I brought up the, (laughs) the Thomas Friedman book. 
so what another idea that I have is, and you just kind of mentioned it, is slowing down and putting life events into perspective. I feel like that might be getting lost a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I I think basically, you know, the first answer I gave you sort of takes that that piece in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're rushing around and, you know, certainly at my point in life, you know, I look back and I say, my God, where did all the time go? But it's a little scary when I hear each of my daughters say that. And it's because they're, you know, they're so busy um, and there's just so much packed into their lives. Uh, So and it, it doesn't give you the opportunity to re- really appreciate life and, you know, enjoy all the different things that, that there are to enjoy in your own life, in your child's life, you know, whatever. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it would be better if we slowed down. But uh, it's a little hard because we are in the technology age at this point. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to add to that about um, – and this is the second part of my statement about putting life events in perspective – Mm-hmm. And this actually gets into the part that you were mentioning earlier on about everybody gets trophies just for participating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if as a, as a writer, uh, one of the things that I feel like I know how to do is to create a good story arc. Mm-hmm. And for a good story arc, you need to have like a good high and you're going to have those down periods. Not that they have to be depressions, but they, right. they need to be less than the highs. And I see it so frequently that uh, what was once considered just kind of a run of the mill thing. And it might have been like a small, tiny little rite of passage has get gotten blown up into this like gigantic thing. And that the example that I'm thinking of is like graduations in between grades in elementary school mm-hmm. where I have seen the, the cap and gown <laughs> ceremony to go yeah. from like second to third grade. Uh-huh. And it's like, I get it. It's like, okay, yep. your, your kid moved on to the next grade and that's great. And I don't ever want to like squash somebody's achievement. Like I just don't believe in that. However, with that being said, I don't to create a good story arc and putting life events in perspective, if they get dressed up for every single movement, then right. how good does it does it knock down the good feeling that you have when you graduate, say, high school or college when you put on the cap and gown? Because that's a I would say it's a greater achievement to go through that than it is to go from the second to the third grade. I so. agree with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so there's that kind of stuff, too. So and, and the other thing about that, and you talked about like putting so much emphasis into the kids, I would say one of the other things that I see is the odds of going like professional and like little league, for example, is not very high. And in fact, mm-hmm. it's probably lower today than it's ever been because there's so much participation. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, uh, parents go even further, uh, in involvement that's going to reap, you know, less reward. And so like people like, when, when I was growing up and here I am, you know, kids get off my lawn complaining about the younger generation. When I was growing up, it was like you competed in your, your league and you traveled in the local area. And now they're traveling, you know, out of state for like run of the mill competitions, not like state championships or anything, but like run of the mill competition as if the competition around them isn't good enough for them. Mm -hmm. And so again, I feel like bringing life perspective back into it, It's like if you're if you're doing this 
to participate in sports and learn about camaraderie and hard work and teamwork and all the other stuff that's in it, do you really need to travel 800 miles to do that? So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's my, that's my rant on a younger generation. So everybody can call in or email and say that I'm a hypocrite too. So, um, (laughs) But like I said, I'm not perfect and I don't think anybody's perfect, um, but I hope I added enough perspective uh, to balance things out. Um, this is a long one, Karen, so I appreciate you sticking with this conversation for so long. Did you have anything? And you know you- what? No, I'm not going to add anything. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, well, then with that being said, we will wrap it up. So thank you so much for your time, Karen. Um, I want to remind everyone that you guys have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist and relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this and more information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Of course, you can find all the past archives of our podcast on hitchmag.com or, you know, probably on whatever uh, uh, podcast uh, service that you're listening to us on. Uh, If you like what you hear, give us a rating. It helps other people discover us. So thank you very much in advance if you do that. And uh, we will be back next week. So one last time. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you, Steve. All right. That's going to do it. Take care, everybody. 